0: So I don't know about you, but um, I like metaphors less than I used to, you know, especially with respect to Scripture. Um, I still like them because God chose to, to explain himself and to us and the world and the, being a follower of Jesus metaphorically, oftentimes, and so, you know, that's great. But I'm getting to the point that I'm more and more affectionate towards the things that I understand quickly. Take a day off. Don't lie. I have trouble with those as commands as a human, like it's not just the easiest, simplest thing to do. Maybe it is for you, but not for me. But then a lot of scripture is metaphorical. You are the light of the world. That's awesome, but I'm not glowing. What does that mean? You're the salt of the earth. Great. Um, What does that mean? What does it look like to actually be blessed? Blessed especially in the New Testament, and the Old Testament, there are two terms for it. In the New Testament, actually means deeply satisfied, one who's flourishing. These are makarisms, which is a transliteration of the Greek word for blessed, makarioi, blessed, but not favored by God, but one who's flourishing. That's why other translations call it happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? What does it mean to be the light of the world? Right before Jesus said those things, he described his followers. That's what we're looking at for the next couple of weeks. Last week and this week and the next couple of weeks are the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes, beautiful ways of being in the world. The way for humans to flourish the way for a human to be deeply, deeply satisfied. So if you have your Bible, I have Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth in verses 13 through 16. And before that, the text says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. If you're familiar with the Bible, this is Jesus modeling That he is a new and better Moses, putting away nothing that Moses taught, but embodying in truth all that Moses taught only verbally. And it's going to take us a long time to get through the text if I keep doing that, so I'm going to try and stop. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit.'" for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I like the word blessed from a translation standpoint, but our definition of it needs to not be one who favor has been extended to, but rather one who is deeply satisfied, one who is flourishing. This is a way of being in the world. Actually, it's the way of being in the world. That's what these are descriptions of. And I don't know about you, but blessed are the, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Deeply satisfied are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Does this sound like good news? It doesn't initially sound like good news. But are you tired of the world not being able to make up its mind about individuals and about the world itself? Because it seems like half the time it's like, the world's amazing! And I will hear no argument contrary to that. Oh, the world is horrible. Everything's... Terrible. You listen to a comedian, they go back and forth and back and forth on these. And it's individuals too, Like right? People are amazing. You're so amazing. People are horrible. Do you know how violent people are? And one of the th- most profound things about Scripture, it, to me, is the tension it invites us to live in. Which is that, of course, you're amazing. Every single one of you knows something that nobody else in the room knows. Every single one of you have gifts that other people in the room don't have, and yet all of us are prone to miss opportunities for love and even to hurt others. Therefore, what I love about this beatitude, this beautiful way of being in the world, is it invites us to honesty. The beautiful attitudes describe one flourishing person. This is not eight or nine different categories of human. This is one person who is being grown in all of these ways, very similar to the fruit of the Spirit. We're not supposed to be patient. We're supposed to lean into the Holy Spirit, which is even now growing us in patience. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Similarly, this is a beautiful way of being in the world. No, it's the Beautiful way of being in the world And it is describing one person The beautiful attitude Describe one flourishing person Who's becoming that way Through one person Jesus Who purchased for us This flourishing Deeply satisfied Way of being in the world And this is where uh, Scripture, again, asks us to live in attention. More specifically, Jesus asks us to live in attention, because when Jesus preached over and over and over, he used this word kingdom. And in addition to the fact that that's not a word we use in too many other settings, unless we're studying history, the kingdom is described by another author as righteousness, joy, and peace. And do you feel at peace? How often do you have joy I hope so If you're a follower of Jesus I hope that you sense the joy Of the fact that God loves you And likes you And because of the work of Christ You're reconciled to him And you have the Holy Spirit And there are times That you remember that And you can breathe Right? You have that joy But it's fleeting We don't always feel the joy That we have And the what I want to encourage us on as we're looking at the beautiful ways of being in the world is that the, the fastest theological way to describe this is the kingdom is already and not yet. you heard this term? Are you familiar with this? If you listen to other Reformed speakers, and you shouldn't because I'm the best one, but if you listen to, thank you. I didn't even try that joke at the nine o'clock service. They would, I did make a lot of comparison jokes between that service and this service, though. You'll have to ask in a Tinder. They didn't record it. Um, Have you heard this term Already not yet Reformed people love this term Because it's a way of living In the tension that Jesus described Trusting him with our heart And decisions As entering the kingdom right now Right this moment And yet the kingdom Is not fully realized Right We're not fully healed The world has not been set to rights I still hyperextend my knee When I stand up here Did you guys notice that? it pointed out to me. Lots of things about my posture are pointed out occasionally. Um, I don't mean to do that. I think in the new heavens and the new earth, I will not do that anymore. Or it won't give me hamstring trouble and back trouble like it does. That's a really terrible way of illustrating the already not yet. We have joy and peace and a description of right living from Christ. That's the Apostle Paul's definition of the kingdom, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness choice. We have those right now, and yet we do not fully have them. We're still in the presence of sin and death. And the second beatitude, the second beautiful way of being in the world, the second description of a deeply satisfied human being as one who mourns, is we're living in the tension of that. Jesus describes his followers as mourners. And the first thing that we're mourning is um, our own... Sin. We're going to get real this morning. Does your sin bother you? Not crush you, but does it bother you? You know why it doesn't need to crush you? Because it crushed him. Some of you, as soon as I say that, you're like, yes, I'm terrible. You're beating yourself up. You don't need to beat yourself up. When you beat yourself up, you're you're saying that Jesus' work on the cross was not enough. You have to add to it. But does your sin bother you? That's what we mourn. We're not crushed by that, but we're bothered by it. Opportunities for love that we have missed. Times that we have hurt others. That is a very religious thing to say, but does even your righteousness bother you? I'm very fond of a statement that I learned from Tim Keller. The difference between a Christian and a religious person. A religious person knows to repent and their sin bothers them, but a Christian, this is my own formulation, but I learned the idea from him. A Christian's also bothered by their righteousness. You're like, why would I be bothered by my righteousness? Because when we succeed in showing love, isn't there a sneaky whisper that, like, God's pretty lucky to have us on his team. <laughs> We're pretty great. And you are great. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of the King, beloved. And our righteousness is even something that we mourn because our need for the gospel and for Jesus is daily and th- Entire Our need is entire. That's poor in spirit. We know our need and that it's met in Christ, but we do not forget that. And so we mourn both our sin and even our righteousness. We are not crushed by it, but we notice it. This is not about suffering generally. Uh, This specific text is about a beautiful way of being in the world, living in the tension of the fact that we have received a new heart and yet we still sin, living with institutions that are noble in some measure and also fail miserably. One of my very favorite things about Christianity is its description and theology and philosophy of suffering. It is the most robust, it, put, it puts every other description of suffering to shame, in my opinion because of how robust it is, even though it will not attempt to fully explain anyone's suffering this side of heaven. It's one of my very favorite things about it, because if anyone says I can fully explain your suffering, I'm going to be like, end of conversation, or change the subject. Those are our two options. And if you have suffered, I think you're probably with me in that. This is not about that. There's a lot to say about that. I've spoken on it many other times when the text uh, speaks towards suffering. James, specifically, would be one of the times I'm thinking of the Psalms. This is not about that. This is about... Us learning to mourn our own sin, but also the sins of our institutions. You know people with religious wounds? (laughs) If you don't, you do, but you don't know them. That's okay. You don't know their, I mean, you don't know their religious wounds. You know people with church issues? You know why? Because we continue to hurt one another. And what we do about that, among other things, we ask for forgiveness we try and sit down. We follow Matthew 18 if we're in a certain level kind of conflict with one another. We try and listen to one another. We ask forgiveness. But we also mourn the fact that we're waiting for Jesus to come back and purify his bride, the church. I had a really fun moment this week. Um, we had a local applicant for our open director of youth ministries position, a Catholic person. And because they don't have any experience, so we couldn't really uh, consider them as a candidate, but they're so passionate, and they live in Simsbury, so we had coffee. And she is so on fire for Jesus. And I feel like I had a glimpse of the purified bride of Christ. She has her traditions and theology and catechisms, and we have ours, and I think ours are better, which is why I'm a Reformed pastor But she was so bright, and her love of Jesus was so strong, she asked for my advice on getting more involved in youth ministry. We got to talk about that. And today, what we do about that, among other things, is we mourn that our institutions, it's not only us and our sin that bothers us, it's our institutions, too. For the very first time that I can ever remember in my life, I crossed out a big section of my notes, um, and our sound tech knows what those notes say. And if you want to know, I'll tell you after church. But it was a little too edgy. But here, here's how I decided to say it and said, and You're like, no, that was interesting to me. But I've never, i literally never done that. I've been preaching for 15 years. I've never just crossed out a big section three times. Um, do you know that there are at least three kind of big ways of, of being Christian and political? And you're like, oh, geez just hang with me there's the christian right perhaps you've heard of them james dobson uh, franklin graham okay they have a way of being in the world and and of thinking about politics there's the christian left did you know that jim wallace shane claiborne i don't know who has more twitter followers because i don't follow i follow some of these people but not all of them there's also the neo-anabaptist you're like anabaptist what that's more like the benedict option or perhaps the the Amish could be described as Neo-Anabaptists. Those are three ways that Christians think about politics. And here's what I want to say to all of us. None of them are good enough for the justice and love and mercy and call of Jesus of Nazareth. They could all do better, and we mourn that. I'm not going to go through the categories. That's what I crossed out. They can all be better because the love of God in Christ, the perfect justice of God in Christ, the role of the purified bride is so much more just and loving than any of those ways in and of themselves. And they distract us from the fact that Christians are called to be faithfully present where they find themselves. We good on that? Can I let that point go? Are we done? Are we done? Are we good? Thank you. Okay. Tony, are we good? You're laughing. Thanks. Okay. I'll tell you what my quote says later, Counselor Sharp. My favorite way of summing up what it means to be a mourner is this letter uh, from early 20th century. The London Times put out a question Uh, To their readers, what is wrong with the world? And early 20th century writer and uh, Catholic and speaker and Gilbert Keith Chesterton said, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Followers of Jesus mourn that uh, our sin, our sin bothers us. It does not crush us, but it bothers us. But here's my favorite thing about this quote if you do you know anything about gk chesterton he was a big dude like literally you know why because he liked to eat and drink he was very good friends with people who had profound disagreements with him george bernard shaw was one of his best friends and they disagreed all the time and they both wrote about it all the time So he knew that his sin was part of the problem of the world and it freed him into joy. This is not supposed to crush us, this information that we mourn, the fact that we are right this minute probably making the world a little bit worse. Though I hope we're making it more better than we are making it worse as followers of Christ. That's actually something that frees us into joy. And I think the reason it frees us into joy Is it's honest Oftentimes when I make this formulation Someone will will hear me giving kind of a Gotcha Christianity like if you're not this way You're this way and I've got all of you How about honest Christianity That we are a little bit part of the problem Thank God For Jesus and the loving art of God And the indwelling Holy Spirit that's even now Healing us and teaching us Both to mourn the sins Of our own life and of our institutions That's honest Christianity that I think frees us into joy. Jesus describes his followers as mourners who will be comforted. From a theological perspective, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is comfort you and me if you're a follower of Jesus. Do you feel comforted? I hope so. Does your imagination remember when you were not yet a follower of Christ? I hope that it does so that you realize you are comforted even though you have legitimate fears and frustrations, anger, and anxiety. Let me ask you a question about comfort. In the next six days, is prayer on your calendar like your actual calendar? Why not? We have full access to God the Father because of the work of Christ and he hears our prayers and comforts us in that moment. I scheduled last Friday for prayer and suddenly Twitter was far more interesting to me. And I wanted to get my email inbox to zero, which I do a couple times per week. You thought I was disorganized and you're right, but I do get my email inbox to zero. I started filling out expense reports. I hate filling out expense reports. During the time that I was supposed to be praying, my dog was so much more interesting to me. I like my dog. I take him on walks, but suddenly I was like, he really needs a walk. And he, he agreed with that. <laughs> I started seeing chores around the house. And listen, I'm not great at remembering to do the things around the house that I agree to do, but suddenly they seemed so interesting to me. I started thinking of errands to run, things we needed at the house. I started thinking that you find people need a very polished sermon on Sunday morning. During the time in my calendar that I had scheduled for prayer, I play Words with Friends and I hate it. It stresses me out. If you have seen that I'm on Words with Friends and I haven't accepted a game with you, it's because I actually hate the game. But during the time that I scheduled to pray... Suddenly, I was like, Words with Friends is really compelling. The differences between Scrabble and Words with Friends are so interesting and make it even more challenging than it already was. That's how naturally we avoid remembering the comfort we have from the Holy Spirit purchased through the work of Christ with God the Father in prayer. Maybe you're not as dis- distracted as easily as I am. I'm so grateful for you. I did still go pray. And when I got to the place that I had agreed to pray in, I took my first deep breath of the day. Maybe you don't get distracted like that and you thought that barrage of illustrations, technically that's called cataloging of illustrations, was You know, neither here nor there. I get distracted really easily, and what happens, the net effect of the distraction is, I don't sense the comfort that I have in Christ because I did not take time to sit with him in prayer. And you're going to write it into your calendar, and somebody's going to be like, are you busy at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon? And you're going to be like, yes. And you're going to feel so proud of yourself for being honest. And then you're going to say, doing what? And you're going to go, prayer. Maybe I'm not busy. What do you need? That's how I would interpret that moment. Put it in your calendar and keep it. And, and five minutes. I mean, if you an hour or two, if you enjoy prayer, if you like to journal when you pray or go through the Psalms, like take it. But take five minutes this week. Put it in your calendar now. That's how people can tell what we care about the things that we spend money on and what's in our actual calendar. Like, now I care about prayers in your calendar. And this is not about earning our comfort. Our comfort was earned fully and completely 100% by Jesus and is given to us by the Holy Spirit. But we are commanded, as Bob referenced earlier, to pray, to ask and seek and knock, to remember the comfort that was purchased for us by Christ. And this is where we're living In the already not yet. Because when? When will we be fully comforted? Not yet. When can we receive the comfort that Jesus purchased for us? Right now. Right? That's the beautiful attitude of those that mourn. They will be comforted. When? Now. When will I be fully comforted? Later. Did you know that this building is always open? We have 37 exterior doors. We only lock two of them. That kind of stresses me out. We have a hayloft sanctuary that you can go in at any time and pray. You have trouble at home? You get distracted by, like me, by words with friends and the dog and errands and chores. You can come pray here. Do you know we have a prayer silo? Some people hate the silo. They find it scary and weird. Some people love it. Did you just wave at me? It's something that, hate just... Thank you for your honesty. I wasn't going to name anybody. We have a prayer silo, and it's open all the time. And it has a heater in it. We don't keep the heater on because we're trying to be wise with energy. You can come anytime if you get distracted at home. Please schedule five minutes. This week or two hours. To remember actively in prayer the comfort that Jesus of Nazareth has purchased for you. Internal peace for your heart. Eternal security. There is hope. Jesus describes his followers as mourners who will be comforted because there is hope in the kingdom. And that hope is about today. That we receive the peace and the joy and the righteousness. And it's also about the future that it will happen fully. Do you know what this table represents? This table represents your past. You know what happens at the table? Your past is interpreted and healed by the gospel of Jesus, by his body and blood, which are for you. You know what else this table is about? It's about today. You're strengthened and helped by obeying Jesus with your mouth and your lips and your stomach in receiving his body and blood, which are for you. And you will be comforted through that. You know, it's also about your future. It is a foretaste of the full comfort we will receive. Eventually, Jesus will return to earth. He will set it to rights. How and when people disagree about, but everybody agrees that's a follower of Jesus. He will set the world to rights and there will be a feast. This is is not a feast in the way that we would think of it. But it is a foretaste of a feast where the very best people, the very best food and wine and the presence of sin and death are gone. That is our hope. And it's not, gosh, I really hope that happens. It's, that's our hope. And it is good. And all those things are gonna happen at the same time When you come forward and kneel, your past is being healed and even interpreted to you in some measure. Your present state is being strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God, which is already living and active and in you if you're a follower of Jesus, and your future is secure and you are given a foretaste of it. Ephesians chapter 3 gives a pretty good description of what's about to happen for you and for me. If you have your Bible, I'm going to look at verses 14 through 21 to set us up for communion. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. We kneel here at the bar, and You certainly don't have to if you don't want to. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this table's not for you, by the way. You can still come forward and kneel. And instead of this... Do this because If you're not a follower of Jesus, why would you proclaim that His resurrection from the dead is your entire hope? Please don't. please don't please don't take the sacrament if you're considering the Gospel of Jesus. But if you want to come forward and kneel in your consideration, then instead of doing this when the service come out, do this. It can be real subtle. It can be like right right here. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father whom from every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you and me to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we're about to do. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you want to continue to meditate on that, take your Bible up for communion. It's okay. Hold it in one hand, take the elements in the other and read that over and over and over and over and over again that you may know what we're about to do. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is what we are about to do. Receive healing and peace for our past. Receive strength for today and receive a foretaste of a time that death and sin and crying and pain will be no more. I hope that gives comfort to your heart about what you are about to do if you are a follower of Jesus.